and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I am a director, a screenwriter, and I write about film for a bunch of different places. And this week I'm very excited to be talking about Blade of the Immortal, um, Takeshi Miike's 100th film. If you Question mark? Question mark, <laughs> if you believe the marketing. Yeah, um, I love how little our audio commentary <laughs> experts Believe the marketing. Did you listen to the audio commentary? I did, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> First five minutes. <laughs> but, but it's also, yeah. It's great. It's a good good audio commentary. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting commentary, especially if, um, you know, you want to know more about Mike's career. Yeah, it's definitely more about Mike than it's about the film. Yeah. And, Although um, he does some really nice, like, uh, cameo spotting in there. Yeah. There's, uh, that it, kind of stuff, like, details about the actors. Yeah, there's a little bit. I mean... Uh, Obviously, I can't complain and you can't complain because our commentary for The Villainess was essentially us talking about 160 other films yeah. um, with, a, with a bit of... I think that's classified as a fan commentary. Oh. Which, uh, let's not... Let's just pretend that's not a pejorative term. <laughs> no, we're, we're bloody experts. Look at how many podcasts we've Look got. at how many books we've written about Korean cinema. <laughs> I've written loads. I've written loads. All unpublished. I've, no, I've, I've written loads and my girlfriend in America has them all. <laughs> you, you can't see a picture of her. She's anyway, a this is... Whoa. <laughs> they don't show up This photos. went off the rails and it went back on the rails in an amazing way. We are Tell back on some very different rails. They're ghost train rails. So, yeah, Blade of the Immortal. Dan, I know that you have some mixed feelings about this film. Oh, I was going to surprise you. Like, there was <laughs> new information for you. My, uh, the magic of podcasting. My, my spider sense. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, I don't know. I am a... I'm a huge Miko fan. I absolutely love Takeshi Miko. Obviously, I haven't seen 99 other films by him because he hasn't done 90. Uh, sorry. No, no, he has. We'll leave that. He's done well, more. He's done more or he's done less. No, Do you done count feature length TV episodes as movies? Then, yes, he's done more. If you don't, then he's done less. It, it's not 100. Listen to the audio commentary for more in-depth analysis as to what counts as 100 films. Though I am now... <laughs> it sounds like I'm ragging on the audio commentary. I'm really not. It's genuinely a great audio commentary. I'm, I'm now, I just like the massive bee in the bonnet. I'm now getting the sense that Dan, um, once again, did not delve into all of the extras. Did you? Did you watch the interview with Mike that Arrow filmed exclusively? No, I didn't. I watched the making ofs of the two battles, and I watched the audio. Com- I listened to the audio commentary. Watched the film again with the audio commentary. Now, um, um, the, the, this Mike interview, and I know I kind of said this last time about the the Man of Iron documentary being worth the price, and and this is not as long. It's only twenty five minutes long, or so, give or take. It is fucking amazing. One of the best extras I've ever seen on any Arrow release. Uh, our friends at Arrow produced it, um, so it, it may... It's unique. It may sound like I'm going over the top, but um, I'm really not. It, it's basically the best insight I've ever seen in an interview with Mike. Um, the questions have all been cut, so it's just him speaking as a talking head. But I would love to see that list of questions because what they get out of him is magnificent. It's not just stuff about the making of the film... 
It's stuff, it's not just stuff about his career, it's stuff about his life philosophy and how that feeds into the making of his films. Um, and I got more insight from that 25 minutes than I have from pretty much anything else. It's given me a new perspective on the way he makes films. For example, one of the reasons his films have kind of gotten a bit longer is mm. because basically uh, him and his crew... It, so basically when he comes up against challenges, mm. um, like say it's raining on the day that they're meant to shoot, yeah. rather than not doing it and not doing potentially dangerous things on a rainy day, they do it anyway and they incorporate it into the scene yeah. in the moment. And so his attitude is that rather than complaining when things go wrong or you know not enough money or you know complaining about producers, he just goes for it. And so that technique creates scenes and moments that are so unique and special and could only have existed in that moment, he's reticent to cut stuff, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of amazing. Well, okay, so here, this kind of feeds back into what you were saying about me having slightly mixed feelings about this film. And sure. I don't know how much that was playing into the film. When you look at something like Visitor Q, so, you know, Mike basically has a film pushed back by a couple of months and goes, fuck it, I'll make a dogma movie, and does Visitor Q. And it's one of my favourite films by him. Just an incredible movie. Like, those are, like, I wouldn't want a moment of that cut because it's all mad. Like, it's amazing. Like, I couldn't see anyone else do it. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel there was anything in... And I'm, the thing is, I'm, I'm picking holes because I hold him to a very high, a very high standard. Uh, and I hold him to a very high standard despite the fact that he's made some turd films, like some really bad movies. But by and large, he is capable of some incredible stuff. And so Blade of the Immortals is a good film. It feels very, very Hollywood compared to his, his other movies. And that's not, that's not something I've ever thought about any of his other films. Even his bad films were enjoyable for, for, for like, out there reasons. And so this felt very, like, clean and organised. And, and, and also, like, the thing is, he's never been... He's, he's not the Japanese director I go to for action showboating. You know, he's the director I go to because he's going to have that incredible moment with the guy in the sack in audition or that incredible moment with the vagina darts in Fudo the Next Generation or that incredible moment with the lactate, lactation and umbrella in Visitor Q or that, like, you know, everything he does is so like personally crazy like it, it could only be his but this didn't feel like it had to be a Miko film and I think that's where it, it disappointed me slightly yeah I mean I can see where you're coming from in that respect I don't have the same kind of standards where it there has to be something that I've, I've never seen before in his film it's, it's not my uh, which is fine honestly it's fine uh, it's just not my personal priority um I just love the way he frames an image. I love the way he shoots a scene. I love the way he works with actors. And I think, you know, what he's done here, turning this kind of Japanese pop star into this, like, grizzled samurai warrior who's kind of, for me, up there with some of the best of them, you know, I think that's kind of an amazing... For me, that was a, a cool achievement. Not an amazing achievement, a cool achievement. And I should say at this point that um, I kind of saw this in the perfect 
circumstances for the first time. I don't know how you watched it, but I was lucky enough to see it at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival, with my uh, good friend, lovely, lovely Pat Kelman, who Dan uh, loves as well. Yeah, no, amazing. Lovely man. Uh, lovely guy. And, um, you know, we'd kind of... Um, we'd queued for all the films together. And, I've been to um, Pam with Cats. Uh, to Cam with Pat? But to Pam You've with been Cat. to Pam with oh, Pat? Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> We're still tired. It's still the same night as the last podcast. Sorry, everybody. Um, I've been to Cam with Pat as well. He's a fantastic Cam co-watcher he is knowledgeable and up for some weird stuff in the market exactly and um you know he's a great person to be with in the queue and all that stuff anyway so i I basically uh you know going to can now uh for me involves um a little bit of networking as well as watching films and i was at a networking event that i had you know I, i was compelled to go to and you know I wasn't enjoying it and I was like oh man I'm missing Blade of the Immortal for this and I suddenly realised hang on a minute if I run I've got time to make it so I ran from this networking party to lovely Pat who had my place held in the queue (laughs) Um, we went in and we both came out of this film on such a high seeing it on the big screen is an experience I'll never forget I think you know there is a chance that watching it at home it isn't as good. I don't want to put people off from buying it by saying that. I, I didn't watch it at home. Um, oh, did you see it at the cinema? No, I saw it at the cinema. I went to see the House Central, oh, which we were oh, recommended nice. last week. Yeah, no, I went on my own. Right. I wanted to catch it while it was still playing in theatres. Yeah. And look, the thing is, it's a beautiful movie. Mikay has shot it lovely. I mean, the thing is, he, he started off shooting everything on video. Uh, and he moved sure. to moved to film what like twenty five thirty films in something like that. So he I mean, really this, hit. He really path. run the run the gamut of what of limitation before that. And I think one of the things that's impressive about him is that he's always uh, surpassed uh, presumed limitations. Like he he'll do so much more with whatever he's given. One of the uh, one of the things that's talked about in the audio commentary is how. This, this feeds back into Cannes. Uh, a few years back, Jen uh, Handoff, my wife and I, were at Cannes and we ended up at, uh, at lunch with the creative uh, executives behind uh, Masters of Horror. And they were talking about uh, talking about the first series and how it all came together and that kind of stuff. And then on the audio commentary, there's a story which lines up beautifully with what they were saying about how when Mike made Imprint, because Mike was the only Japanese director in that first roster, yeah. all the American directors were like, oh, it's so difficult to get these like 45, 50-minute episodes made on this budget. It's really tight. Oh, we haven't worked like this since Halloween or we haven't worked like this since... You know, so they're all talking about their... You know, referring it to their early films where, you know, they had to make do. Uh, and now it's a it's a huge chore to work with such a small budget. And Mika goes away and shoots a feature length movie that looks gorgeous and has to be chopped down to 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 be broadcast as part of the series. Like Mika's always overcome obstacles, uh, and I think that maybe part of my issue with this is that he doesn't really have those obstacles anymore. Well, I I, I don't know. I, I I really don't. I mean, it should be said that it's not necessarily an unusual route that he took shooting so many straight to video films that is that's quite common but they're not to his level of success like there aren't that many other again again i'm just drawing from the audio commentary but but they talk about how there's only like there's um takeshi ishii 
sure. but he kind of disappeared and he's making a bit of a comeback now but there's only like a small handful who've got to like a proper respectable success level who started off in v cinema before they got you know before going like full blown like this and and, and the fact that miko's turning down three picture deals in the states and and everything he's releasing is cinematic now i mean like, that's a big trajectory don't don't get me wrong i'm not saying that that he's not insanely talented and gifted all i'm saying is that a lot of directors have that route obviously um quality rises to the top and we've yeah. only heard of well a lot of directors have that start i think he's this is what i'm saying yeah. so you know kiyoshi kurosawa is, a, is another yeah. example yeah. um of someone who went that route and and sort of basically it's it's almost like um god did you a weird kind of film school you, um, you, you listen to the commentary really? yes yeah okay so um they, they talk about the fact that kurosawa and mike were going to do an adaptation of in the miso soup which oh my fucking god that would be amazing yeah and they have the you know it's the same thing is said in the commentary uh, and again they they talk about the fact that thomas who you know who's done three films with mike now uh, jeremy thomas um at recorded picture company yeah uh who exec produced this was the sort of english language exec on uh, on this one and then did 13 assassins and the remake the 3d remake of um harakiri uh which i haven't is the one of those three that i haven't seen i haven't seen his remake uh, yeah, they were sort of fantasizing about Thomas getting his hands on. Oh no, I'm conflating two things. They were talking <laughs> about they were talking about how good it would be if Thomas got Mike to do the Lone Wolf and Cub reboot. Oh, I see. Fuck, I, and I'm fully in agreement of that as well. But yeah, no. So I'd love to see a Mike in the miso soup, and I'd love to see a Mike Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why it kind of surprises me, and that's why I guess you know. I, I thought, oh, maybe Dan watched it at home and he was distracted, you know. Um, I'm surprised you watched it on the big screen and, and gave it your full attention because I just, it feels like a film that's really up your street. It's, it's for me, a modern version of, of the Lone Wolf stuff. And, but it's know. no Lone Wolf and Cub. Like, it's, it got, it's got I'm, cranes I'm and that. it's got steady cams and it's got CGI, but it's no Lone Wolf and Cub. No, I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's, it's you know, a, a close modern version. If I had to try and look for a reason for my bias um, that wasn't what I've already said about about my, my sort of relationship with Mika as a yeah, filmmaker, yeah. it would be the fact that having read the comics, it kind of missed out a bunch of the stuff that I cared about in the uh, comics. But no, the thing is, I don't think that that plays a particularly big hand because I do feel... A, I haven't read a huge number of the comics. Right. Uh, but B, I feel that one of the one of the problems with it was just as a, as a narrative, I didn't really feel like our, our character really, like... I, I really like the idea of an immortal character who's not a great fighter because he essentially, his special power is being a punching bag. Yeah. But that's, to some extent, that's early Deadpool. And and that's so good, uh, comics, I mean, that works so well. And I like I just felt like he wasn't challenged and it took so long for him not to be particularly like to not like develop they're just like oh and then suddenly oh yeah by the way this guy has the same thing as you and then uh and so he can actually hurt you so everything's off the table now i i don't know it, it just yeah it just didn't fair enough I, st- I still enjoyed it i yeah. still really enjoyed it it's yeah. a gorgeous film and it's it's the uh, you know i liked i like the two scenes where his hand got cut off <laughs> Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a bit of a, a hands. There's a few hands that come off in the film, and um, yeah, I mean, I love a handoff. 
and and actually that sort of uh, taps into another reason I loved it, which definitely would not be a way in for Dan, but um, it had kind of a Star Wars-y vibe for me. Um, <laughs> you know, not just with... The... Well, he's referencing the same film that Lucas was referencing with the hand coming off. Of like, course, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and obviously the opening's very Yajimbo. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, not just that, but in terms of like the array of unique characters, um, obviously this all comes from the comic. Well, that's the thing it really did take from the comic. Yeah. Is, and, the, and, and, is and those great characters. You know, I, I kind of... But the thing is, like, so those amazing characters are in the comic books and he does them faithfully and they're really good. Although, like, sometimes they maybe feel a little bit like thrown away. But then look at Zebra Man which has b- just bananas characters in it sure. and isn't technically as good a film by any means, but was so much more fun. I'm just like, not, not for me. No, I mean, fair enough, yeah, fair not, enough. Not for me. Um, I, I think, yeah, you, you, my, my tastes are kind of um, uh, maybe slightly broader in, in terms of me, Kate. Uh, I mean, I don't know about that. I really like Great Yoko War. I liked Andromedia. Like, I, I understand that he does different types of stuff. I don't exactly. only like his weird stuff. But this fell through the cracks. It wasn't... It, it was just too Hollywood. Like, it wasn't his crazy bananas stuff. And it wasn't his Japanese cinema stuff. And this this was a new thing or it was something perhaps he's been moving towards, but I certainly preferred 13 Assassins. Like, I really, I actually really enjoyed that one. But this, yeah, like it's, like I said, it's the one that didn't feel like it had to be Mike. And everything else he has, for whatever reason, good or bad, everything else has felt like it was his. It had his brand on it, and this, this didn't feel like that. For me, this is the logical sort of extension of 13 Assassins, where it's actually starting to bring back more of his weirdness i think 13 assassins which i love and is no it's um, amazing is definitely straighter than this film there's there's oh it is you know there's so yeah i guess i don't know but it's japanese straighter it's not it's not as hollywood this felt much more like an american blockbuster in its structure right but but i do feel like 13 assassins is that but more so whereas this you know has a bit more of his weirdness and a bit more of um you know, an edge of experimentation, certainly nothing compared to, you know, the vast majority of his career, but compared to 13 Assassins, it just felt like, oh, okay, cool, you know, um, he's having a bit more fun with it. Um, Not that 13 Assassins isn't fun, but it's more traditional um, in terms of samurai movies, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Whereas this is, you know... But that's it. Like, I I love samurai movies in general, and it is much more traditional in terms of samurai movies which is a Japanese genre and done expertly in Japan. Mm. And this isn't as much of a samurai movie Mm. and it's not as weird because it's got these other, like this much more sort of down the middle international appeal. Like the thing is, like you look at what Jeremy Thomas has done when he's worked with Asian directors. He worked, he did Brother with Kitano, Mm. Kitano's first English language film as a director, uh, like, you know, he, he obviously has a relationship with Asian cinema and he's chosen an amazing director to get into bed with, with Mike. And, and, and no doubt the success of this film. And, and the, the, the thing is, I, I, I'm sort of begrudgingly fighting your statements because while I do very much feel what I feel, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad film at all. Right. I, I really do enjoy it. And it is, we are talking exclusively about the story like the benchmark 
that I've set for Miko. Like, the thing is, you know what? It's an amazing first Miko film for someone. Like, yeah. if, you, if you went, hey, guess what? I've got a movie for you. We're going to watch Full Metal Yakuza. <laughs> like, that's not the first film to show a Western person who might, like, you know, who isn't, like, you know, if they're already super into, like, you know, crazy-ass Japanese stuff, then that's great. But, like, a sort of a, a genre virgin, as it were, like, this is a really good first movie to show them. Absolutely. Length aside. <laughs> um, it is a long film. But, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. I hope, I, hope he goes, I hope he goes weirder again or more like 13 Assassins, more traditional Japanese. Because he, he kicked the ass off 13 Assassins. It's an amazing film. Yeah, and uh, it's actually, it, it was going to be one of my recommendations, but maybe I'll swap it out because we've talked about it so much. But, um, yeah, I just feel like with Mike, he's always going to do a bunch of stuff that, you know, he, he veers so... He sort of traverses so many different genres and um, different styles and different tones and all the rest of it that, you know, you don't have to worry that he's just going to keep on churning out... Blade of the Immortal 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He's never going to make another Blade of the Immortal film again because no, of course. he's done it now, so he's going to move on to the next thing. Um, but, you know, I, I take your point and, you know, I, I do... In terms of Mike's filmography, is it at the top for me? No. In terms of films released last year, was it near the top? Yes. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I can't remember the last time I had that much. Uh, fun at a film festival um it was yeah a very special experience and watching it again at home was uh almost as good so yeah i would recommend blade of the immortal i think dan probably would too yeah i definitely i definitely would i and like i said i I think if you're if you're a diehard miko fan and you haven't seen all of his other really good stuff yeah, like then it's it might not be the top shouldn't be the top of your list. The first Mike movie you should watch on Arrow is obviously Audition. Which, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Shout out to that previous podcast if you hadn't listened. Episode to it. two? No, I think it was a bit further. Was on it further on than that? Yeah, yeah. No. But just listen to those. T- listen to two and three as well. They're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I I really enjoy this film. Recommend it. Let us go into our recommendations based on this film. Dan, what have you got first? So my first recommendation is. Is a Japanese film that I think I showed you maybe like five or six years ago. I it came up in con- it felt relevant in a conversation then as it feels relevant now. I stumbled across it on DVD in England. I don't think it's ever had a Blu-ray. It's called Zipang. Uh, it's on IMDb as Jipangu uh, with a J. Uh, it's from 1990, directed by Kaizu Hayashi, and it is the I feel like maybe I've mentioned it on the podcast before. You know, I've, I mentioned it on the audio commentary to The Villainess uh-huh. because it's got this amazing single-shot fight scene with a jib arm pulling back over a bridge as, um, as Jugoku, uh, our samurai hero, our sort of ronin hero, fights his way through swathes of black-clad uh, adversaries on this, uh, on this traditional Japanese bridge. But the, um, the thing that's most notable about it aside from it being an, an amazing, fun samurai movie, 
is the uh, the fact that he has a sort of <laughs> he's got a gang that travel with him, uh, including a weird animatronic sort of pygmy elephant thing. But one of them is a sort of caddy, a sword caddy for him. And then throughout his battles, he'll call out and be sent his next weapon. So he'll be uh, he'll be tossed a blade that uh, like a sort of double ended sword, like a sort of Darth Maul samurai sword, uh, or he'll be uh, or he'll be thrown a, a sword and he'll catch it by the tip of the scabbard. And the guy he's fighting with will uh, will grab the handle and sort of steal the sword from him, only to realise that he's actually unsheathed a handle-length blade, and it has a blade-length handle that uh, Jugaku is holding, uh, and he'll sort of stab him with this sort of squat naginata. Yeah, it's uh, one of my favourite things in uh, in martial arts cinema is novelty weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's why I love One Arm Swordsman 2 so much. And uh, yeah, Zipang is a, a delightful uh, samurai actioner. And it's still, I mean, it's still a couple of hours long. Like it doesn't, uh, but it zips past. It's really, really fun. Great. That's really good. Yeah, check, check it out. I don't know if it's even still available. I'm sure it'll turn up on eBay if you can track it out. Now, uh, I could recommend 13 Assassins, as I plan to. I could recommend uh, Yojimbo, because it's very relevant. But I am going to instead recommend, uh, based on the conversation we just had, it suddenly came to me, a film called... uh, It's kind of a a relatively obscure, rare, hard-to-track-down film called Dick Tracy from 1990. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sam, we've got to stop. We've got to give people some softballs. Like, <laughs> it's not fair to just keep on recommending shit they can't find. And I did, yeah, <laughs> like, um, it's a, the Warren Beatty movie uh, uh, featuring an uh, appearance from Madonna uh, and Al Pacino. And a lot um, of prosthetics. Yeah, exactly. It's, it kind of reminds me of uh, Blades of Immortal in that it's got so many cool, weird individual characters. And so I think maybe. Uh, my love of that film, which I saw at the cinema as a very young man. Um, uh, yeah, I loved it, Tracy, and maybe that's why I like Blade of the Immortal so much because <laughs> it, it reminds me of seeing different weird characters popping up every five minutes. Um, yeah, so <laughs> by all means, if you haven't seen Dick Tracy, watch Dick Tracy. <laughs> Tight recommendation there, Sam. Thanks. It's good. I like that you... Did you have that in the back pocket as a backup? No. I, I try and have a spare one, because we don't discuss these ahead of time. No. Like, we like to be slightly more organic with it. Uh, and yet, we've never had a double-up, have we? No. Which is really no. nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I tend to have a, a backup, just in case. Yeah, no, I never do. In fact, sometimes... <laughs> sometimes I don't just even Just wing have. it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should do one recommendation this week, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe none. Let's mess with the format. No, I... I mean, you know, I've seen a few films, so it's always quite easy. Yeah, yeah, you pull something out of the air, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> my next one's one of my favourite Mikes. Uh, we've mentioned it in passing a couple of times in this uh, chat. Can you guess which one it is? Uh, Zebra Man. No. No, I mean, Zebra Man's fun, but it's not, <laughs> it's not top Mikes. Right. 1996? You can guess? No? It's Fudo. The Oof. new generation. Oh, Fudo's a treat. Fudo is amazing. It's towards the end of uh, Mike's V Cinema era, and it's um, oh, it's amazing. The the I, Jigaku I, in Blade of the Immortal reminded me of the assassin team in Fudo, and I think that again that might be one of those things where you know when a movie you is just keeps on reminding of a movie you prefer. 
Right, yeah. I see, I, <laughs> see, this. I think our Miko taste is very different because, uh, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of food. Okay? Not a fan? No, no. I mean, uh, if I was going to go Miko, I'd say Black Triad Trilogy. Which, yeah, amazing films. Which uh, are incredible. And also on Arrow. Also on Arrow. Fudo's not on Arrow. No, Fudo's um, not on Arrow, sorry. No, uh, Fudo's... And kind of from that era... Um, it's like mid nineties, I think. Well, they were the they were the ones they it, that was during a period when they started deciding that they would get a little bit more prestige and yeah. release these things cinematically. So he got to do V Cinema, but on film, exactly. And so they do look nicer. Like Fudo is a bit of a grimy film, and, yeah. and it's probably it's got not some dodgy it's, elements. It's probably not worth. I, I, well, I didn't mean tonally. I meant <laughs> I meant quality. But yeah, it does have some dodgy elements as well. But it, I mean, but you know, so does like Itchy, and. Like, that's prime Mike. Like, when people think of, you know, Mike's successful films, Itchy the Killer is is right up there. And that's got some really fucking horrible stuff in it. Like, that's... I I don't revisit Mike because I find it uncomfortable. You don't re- revisit Ichi? Uh, Ichi, sorry, I yeah. I don't, revisit, I don't revisit... <laughs> that's quite a bold yeah, statement. No, I don't revisit Ichi because I find it uncomfortable. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of that one either. But uh, I am going to say as my next recommendation, Black Triad Trilogy, why not? Yeah. Uh, what, that wasn't going to be... I've, I've had two swap outs. What uh, was the other one? Just, just to... I, I, I'm not going to say. I'm okay. not going to say. Right. Um, uh, I, In that I case, think I... it's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Otherwise, we'll be here all night if we keep doing all yeah, that. No, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I'm going to put a third recommendation in. No, Dan, that is cheating. That's why you wanted me to say it, so you could do another one. No, I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, it's the comic books of Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh, right, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, all of them. Yeah, yeah. Read all of them. Yeah. They're a beaut. Not just because they are incredible samurai uh, fiction, um, and obviously the films are great. If you read the films, we're not read, if you've seen the films, we're not read the f- uh, comics. You're in for a treat. It's so 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 rich. But also because they're um, often sort of referred to as being sort of origin format for modern storyboards, film storyboards. Mm. Uh, if you look at how they're drawn, the the sort of the level of detail and the the time frame information that's happening there. Like when you watch a when you read uh, a, a fight between two samurais in that level of detail, it's so beautiful to see every every stroke, every move of the sword catalogued like that. They're yeah, man. Like the, the, the influence of comics on uh, film is quite an interesting one. Um, I interviewed Lynn Ramsey a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, whenever this goes out, um, for her film, You Were Never Really Here. Mm. And um, as part of the research, like uh, she'd done a press conference at Cannes and... Someone had, I think someone had made a joke about her doing like a superhero movie. And she, you know, said, actually, you know, I'd, I'd like that. You know, I used to read a lot of comics when I was a kid. And they kind of, they didn't pick up on that thread. They just kept on going. Mm. And almost like she was joking as well, but you could see that she was sincere. So uh, when I spoke to her, I asked her about it. And um, she's got really cool comic knowledge. And she credits graphic novels like, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen and, and that kind of stuff for, for teaching her cinematic language. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she, and she says that there's still a visual influence on her. And actually knowing that, when you see You Were Never Really Here, it's one of the most comic book, non-comic book movies I've ever seen, if that makes sense. Like, in terms structurally and in terms of some of the, the interesting stuff it does, with editing, um, it's like it is like a, a graphic novel. Um, quite amazing, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you think about the way a panel is drawn in a comic book, it is if it were a moving image, then 
and each panel was a shot, then each panel would be the most important piece of information from that shot. So it's a distillation of the action in Absolutely. the way the storyboards are. And that's why Lone Wolf and Cub is so lovely, because they, rather than having one panel per shot, they've got one panel per piece of information. And as we all know, good martial arts cinema doesn't have a lot of shots in it. You put <laughs> yeah. the camera on a tripod at the distance and let your amazing actors and performers do their thing. So, you know, you can't break that down into a single panel per shot because you just have one panel per fight, really. Um, so they've got all this detail and close-ups in a way that doesn't necessarily work with cinema. But it's it's a beautiful um, depiction of the of the form. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let us move into films that we have watched over the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you got? Uh, I managed to pick up the Severin Blu-ray release from the States of Threads. Oh, which I went back to. Joyous. Bit of misery. For those of you that aren't aware, it, what's, what's fun with this as a recommendation is that those of you who are aware are probably English uh, and can't get this Blu-ray. Or, you know, you can, but you, uh, you need to import it. Uh, and those of you who may not be aware are probably not maybe American and you have access to it. Uh, it's an amazing disc. Uh, I have it here because I'm going to read the back a little bit. Uh, Mick Jackson, the director... And Kayla Janice, who we mentioned on the last episode, uh, have an audio commentary on it, which I'm yet to read, uh, yet to listen to, uh, but I'm looking forward to. It's got interviews and, and stuff. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, great, uh, a great disc, but it's also a, a beautiful print of an amazing, um, draining, upsetting, harrowing, wretched film. If you don't know, it's uh, a sort of docudrama about how Britain would respond to a nuclear strike and it's more upsetting than you could than you're imagining from what I've already said. Mm. It's yeah, settle down a little over a couple of hours. Uh, settle down for a bit of a cry. Mm. It's almost as disturbing as when the wind blows. Almost. Which I yeah. Which to be honest, if it wasn't for that soundtrack, when the wind blows might be up there. <laughs> and I love the soundtrack. Like I have the, the soundtrack, but it's not. I don't know, I feel like it undermines it. The co- if you ever get a chance, talking about comic books, if you ever get a chance to read Raymond Briggs's original book... I've got it, yeah. Of, no, of I've, 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 I'm not I've you, I know you have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the comic book of When the Wind Blows is it's up there with Mao's for, for harrowing comics. It's incredible. Um, right, my first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is a film called Pie Wacket, uh, which played at Fright Fest Glasgow. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't there for that, but uh, uh, I saw a screener of it because I think I'm going to do some interviews um, for it, hopefully, uh, potentially for this podcast, because I really, really want to talk to the right director, Adam McDonald, about this amazing film. I'm really not going to say too much about it. I think it is going to be either out when this podcast goes up, um, streaming and DVD, or it's about to be. I think it's out sometime in April, but um, yeah, more details closer to the time, uh, unless it's out now. I don't know what I'm saying. We do these podcasts in such a weird way now. <laughs> um, now we're both so busy. And we're both so busy. But whenever you get a chance to see it, watch Pie Whack It. It is a horror film um, that centres around a, a teenage girl who... Um, has, sadly her, her father's passed away and she's um, having a kind of difficult relationship with her her mum 
um, and her mum decides to move them into the middle of nowhere um, to try and solve this problem, which is never a very good idea. Um, and that's about all I'm going to say about it because it has one of the most surprising endings I've seen in a while um, and that's all I'm going to say about that we'll, we'll discuss it further when people have had a chance to watch it but um, I couldn't recommend it more um, it's, it's a really really great film great you say that's upcoming release yeah upcoming so um, it's it's from 2017 it may actually be out in the states already I don't know but um, it will be out in the next couple of months in the UK streaming and on DVD and if I can get access to the director I will uh, pop something on the podcast Nice. Pie whack it. Nice, I'll check that out. I just like saying that. that name. Pie whack it. It's a yeah. good, uh, yeah, it's a good name. My second recommendation is, uh, well, it wouldn't be a double bill record if I didn't recommend a Shaw Brothers movie <laughs> from the Z Eagle. My friend Gareth from Sony, who I've mentioned on the Coffee Podcast, uh, came round because um, he had only seen a sort of small handful of these films uh, in his youth. Uh, and I thought he'd enjoy them, so we dipped in and we watched uh, we watched Teng Hung Siu's 1970 film, The Secret of the Dirk, uh, which was a first watch for me. I'd not seen that one before. Again, it's it's a really I'm recommending only. Well, actually, no threads this long, but otherwise, I'm recommending only quite short films at the <laughs> moment. Uh, last week, you would have noticed both of my films came in at well under 90 minutes. <laughs> uh, my recommendations. This one again is 78 minutes. It's absolutely fantastic. It uh, it opens with uh, a city under siege. Well, it opens with another thing and then a flashback to a city under siege uh, and uh, a man going up against the sort of elders of the city defending his uh, desire to eat his own child while the city's under siege. Uh, and it moves quickly on to uh, an amazing... and More novelty weapons, actually. <laughs> uh, a sort of never-ending source of throwing swords... Which oh it's 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 a treat it's a it's a it's a really good sort of intrigue plot with nice. some amazing martial arts and some great novelty weapons so yeah secret of the Dirk, uh, nineteen seventy well worth tracking down. My final recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is uh, a film from the uh, Seiyun Suzuki the early years volume one box set that Arrow released recently. Um, which is a bit of a, a treasure trove for me. Um, I love the director and, and none of these films have been released before. So I watched The Boy Who Came Back from 1958, um, which is kind of a, a kind of early example. No, you know, it's, it's a lot more kind of traditional than, way more traditional than his later films. Um, but you can see glimpses at the kind of, uh, themes and characters that Suzuki would become interested in for a large part of his career. It's about uh, a, a protagonist is a, a main protagonist is a woman who uh, basically agrees to um, mentor a, a young man fresh out of reform school um, who's kind of uh, very troubled and uh, very confrontational. Um, and it goes to lots of interesting places, which I will not reveal here. But it's a wonderful film that is part of a, a really lovely box set, and I'm going to be digging into it more uh, and talking about more films from it in the future. But for now, that's it, isn't it? For we, we've got, yeah, for recommendations. for recommendations, we've got some. So let's some go into our letters. Extra features? Does Ex that count? Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Now, now, 
this this first letter is from uh, a, a guy who supported the podcast right from the very start. Um, lovely Tim Coleman, oh, yeah. who um, has you know tweeted and retweeted, and you know he offers his thoughts on every episode. So it's really nice to get an email from him. So Tim says. Now that you are signposting in advance which titles you'll be discussing next, which is a great addition to the format, the podcast is starting to have the feel of a film club even more than before. So I wanted to ask if you had considered running a Facebook discussion group in tandem with the pod. It could be a great way for like-minded folk to get together and chat about the films you cover, recommend, or just partake in the general genre geekery. Plus, did you get new mics? We did get new mics. We have got new microphones, yeah. We've got the same mic, editor mic... It's the same, yes. lovely, reliable mic, but we got rid of the bad mics, as in the ones we were recording with, and uh, yeah, we're using better better mics, different recording equipment in general. Yeah. Um, so what you, how do you feel about that one, Dan? Um, well, I feel like if he hasn't already been told, we should do it here. So Mike sent out an email saying that he... Actually, maybe he just told me this in person. I can't remember. My life is such a mess. Um, <laughs> so uh, Arrow were thinking of offering Tim the Facebook group. Great. Um, he, had, he had said that he would be interested in running it. Yeah. And, uh, and Arrow thought that this might be a, a, he did that, a, a, he did a that good... In that yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim has said he might be interested in running it. Uh, and Mike said that they were up for it, but they wanted to run it by us. Uh, and I give it my, my go-ahead. Yeah, I no. assume you're cool with that. Yeah, so totally. Let's, let's do it officially here. Tim, yes, please get in contact with us. That would be fantastic. Yeah, drop, drop an email to the, the email that you sent this email to. Yes. I just said the yeah, word email s- quite a lot because Arrow, obviously, it also looped in on that. So um, they'll be able to talk to you about... Um, what to do next but that's very exciting oh, I'm glad that's worked out yeah no thank idea. you and thank you again for your kind words and your support right from the beginning as well yeah. it's, 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 it's nice it's nice to hear from everybody but it's it's especially nice when it's sort of repeated interactions because it it, it does like you said it starts to feel like a film club like exactly. we're all watching which stuff is, together which, which is, is really what fun. we've always wanted from this podcast and uh, I should mention because uh, I mentioned this last time but not this time uh, we're obviously not reading out the full emails we're just sort of Cherry going with the, the, the salient points yes um, but we read all of them and very much appreciate the kind words thank you Dan next uh, so our next one is from Seth Edwards um, who uh, wrote in to say uh, he loves listening to us talk about these movies uh, he shares our passion for them which is uh, really nice he said one day he will pass on his ever-expanding love and knowledge of these films to his daughter. Uh, now she's only six months old, so he's pretty sure that showing her zombie flesh eaters would be illegal, uh, <laughs> or at least frowned upon. But until then, he has our podcast. So, fantastic. Thank you. We're glad to be able to provide that service. He says uh, he just finished listening to the Hellraiser episode uh, two episodes ago now, and one thing he wished we'd brought up was the score. Uh, whenever he hears it, he's instantly transported. To say he loves Hellraiser would be an understatement. He proudly hangs a pinhead ornament from his car rearview mirror. Uh, he sends a photograph of that as well. Thank yeah, you. Which is awesome. Um, yeah. It is. Yeah, well, I, I, we didn't talk about it. It's addressed really fantastically on the disc, and, and they talk about it in the in the uh, Leviathan documentary as well. Yeah. But, it's yeah, it's that it's the... It's the soundtrack that almost didn't happen, isn't it? Because it, yeah. it, it had a different score being worked upon for some time until 
until they switched over to the genuinely iconic and incredible music that is now on the film. Yeah, it's kind of... Um, yeah, it's, it's an example of... I'm really surprised we didn't talk about this because it's one of my absolute favourite things about the film as oh, well. Oh, it's incredible. Um, I feel like it elevates it so much and it gives it that, that kind of... You know, that's part of what I was talking about in the Hellraiser podcast... Um, where it feels like art house meets grindhouse. It, it the the score. It's a very classy score. It's a very classy score. Um, it's a beautiful score, and we're glad that you love it as much as we do. And we wish we'd have talked about it. Yeah, but we just did. We talked about it a little bit here. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Yeah. Good Thank to be you, poked. Seth. If anyone else feels like there are aspects of films we've already talked about that they wish we'd addressed then do send in emails and if we have anything interesting to say we will uh, try and address them there I mean we've we've always got something interesting to say <laughs> yeah, we are scintillating bastards <laughs> yes so right this is a uh, fun email from Andre Martins who uh, points out that he is German in the subject line and says as always with your podcast, I had fun with the Death on High Heels episodes and just want to say that I do not actually want you guys to celebrate the movies you talk about. I think it is just as or sometimes even more interesting if at least one of you is not a big fan of the movie. Whether I like the film, like Zombie Flesh Eaters, that Sam did not enjoy that much, or Death Walks on High Heels, which Sam and I do not really like. Kind regards, Andre. P.S. Please feel free to have an offensive Peter Sellers version of a German accent in your head while reading this. Um, thank you to everyone for writing in, um, and please do keep the emails coming. Yeah, we really, really love getting the emails so from you guys. Thank you wish. so much. So, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for listening, and we promise we'll be more professional next time. We do indeed. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.